This is Farms Food Future, a podcast that's good for you, good for the planet and good for farmers. Brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development, I'm Brian Thompson. And I'm co-hosting this edition. I'm Linda Odiambo. In this month's edition, we're focusing on the blue economy in East and Southern Africa. We look at IFAD's portfolio in the region and also potential opportunities and challenges for government, the private sector and small-scale producers. Speaking to us about IFAD's work in the region will be Sarah Mbegobunu, Regional Director for East and Southern Africa. She'll give us an overview of the blue economy in the region, the opportunities and challenges it holds for development, for small-scale producers, governments and the private sector. To continue the conversation, we'll hear from an ocean expert, Dr. Ishmael Kimirei, as he talks about climate change and the impact on the ocean. And from Richard Abila, specialist on aquaculture development and how small-scale producers are already or can in future benefit. We'll also hear from small-scale producers in Eritrea, Mohammed Said Ibrahim and Maskela Hail Mariam, as they share how IFAD supported projects in Eritrea has supported them and transformed their livelihoods. We wrap up the podcast returning to Sarah Mbagobunu as she highlights future investment in the blue economy. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. What do you think about our stories and who do you want us to be talking to? So please get in touch with us at podcasts at ifad.org and you can subscribe to this podcast via your favourite podcast platform and please rate us. This is Farms Food Future. IFAD engages in the blue economy primarily through its programmes focused on small-scale fisheries, small-scale aquaculture, coastal zones and in small island developing states. The East and Southern Africa region has a current portfolio of over 100 million US dollars. East and Southern Africa's blue economy portfolio therefore provides us with valuable knowledge and lessons for IFAD's future investment in the blue economy. I spoke to IFAD's regional director of East and Southern Africa, Saram Bagobunu, and asked her to highlight IFAD's blue economy portfolio in the region and the opportunities and challenges. IFAD engages in the blue economy primarily through its programs focused on small-scale fisheries, small-scale aquaculture, coastal zones, and the small island developing states. Fisheries and aquaculture are important sources of income and nutrition in the rural areas, and particularly for coastal communities living around seas and oceans in the island states, around lakes, rivers, and large water reservoirs in areas where aquaculture factors. Uh, the sector is really important. So the number of projects and the diversity of interventions and size of investments, basically it's 60% of IFAD's ongoing investment in the fisheries is in East and Southern Africa, a total of about 100 million approximately US dollars. Uh, and these are predominantly sovereign programs, but there are few grant funded interventions uh, under the East and Southern Africa Blue uh, Economy Portfolio. So we have the, the, the Kenya Aquaculture Business Development Project, 142 million, which reaches 300 households approximately 30,000 uh, members. Angola, we have one, 
which is reaching around 13,000 household members for 12 million. Eritrea, we have uh, the FRIM program reaching around 38 million. Um, it's around 38 million US dollars in value, 80,000 households. In Tanzania, we have a new a fisheries development program which is worth 72 million US dollars. And in Mozambique, we have the Profesca, which has 60 million uh, US dollars. The blue economy interventions integrate climate and the environment. That's the beauty of them. They also uh, support nutrition, as we discussed. And they are inclusive of women. Women play a very key role uh, in, in the blue economy. So it has a lot of potential of eliminating poverty, malnutrition, gender inequities, and promoting healthy, nature-positive, and resilient food system. An impact lessened by diversity in the production of most terrestrial animal source foods. So this is the intersection with SDG 1, 2, 5, and 14. It's really big potential for having multiple results and outcomes. And what have we achieved so far? The ongoing Eritrea Fisheries Resource Management Program, which is a follow-up operation, it contributes as well to income, nutrition, and building resistance of coastal communities in a very challenging environment. Amongst these activities, the project is contributing to the rehabilitation and protection of 1,500 hectares of mangrove forests, which will improve sustainability of fisheries resource and diversification of livelihoods in the coastal communities of Eritrea. In Angola, the Tisnal Fishery Aquaculture Project, APAP, has introduced aquaculture in northern Angola and already reported an increase of over 13 tons of fish production for local nutrition and income in poor communities where there were few alternatives for protein source foods. Additionally, the project has developed an inclusive system for sustainable management of fisheries, resources in inland small lakes and lagoons, which has eliminated bad fishing practices and seen the recovery of traditional fish stocks. And that uh, the Mozambique Artisanal Fisheries Promotion Project, Pesca, implemented from 2011 to 2019, reported 12% increase in production and commercial value of fisheries on a sustainable basis, increased incomes of artisanal fishing communities, increase in assets ownership and the living conditions of project beneficiaries, improved household nutritional food security from 25 to 33% from the baseline to project completion. Please share with us some of the challenges the portfolio is facing. Of course, there are a lot of challenges in the context that we're working. Some of the blue economy programs are in countries facing different forms of fragility. And the blue economy is a new boundary for IFAD, uh, where it has not garnered a lot of experience and not developed a lot of metrics over the years. So it's still an area that we are learning more about. Uh, so these programs that I mentioned uh, often uh, are slow uh, to take off. The implementation pace tends to be a little bit slower, and so it takes us longer to achieve the desired results. One of the observations from the, from the IOE, from the Independent Office of Evaluation, has said that that um, has to design longer-term programs to achieve success in the blue economy portfolio. Instead of programming for six years, you might want or wish to program for longer periods, eight years. Uh, with the economic uh, challenges facing many partner states in the region, particularly after COVID, with increasing debt situation, the blue economy sectors are likely to remain um, high in their priority list, but underfunded. So we have quite a big challenge there to mobilize 
more sustainable development finance in the very short term so those investments can come through. Climate change impacts are already being felt in most sectors, uh, but particularly the blue economy is extremely vulnerable to that. So climate shocks such as cyclones, tropical storms, flooding and droughts uh, have created havoc. For instance, we recall Cyclone Idai left more than 1,300 people dead and over 10,000 homes destroyed in Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi in March 2019. So we see that by promoting inland aquaculture, this could mitigate against the vulnerabilities of coastal of fish in communities and, and you know, really diversify their source. Um, but that said, you know, climate change is also creating havoc on internal water bodies and sources. And so aquaculture, even though it offers an alternative, uh, is still uh, something that we need to understand how to manage water from aquatic uh, sources, whether we can have combined rice, duck farms or fish farms, also looking at other forms of food production, mixed production systems. Post-harvest losses remain a serious challenge for small-scale fisheries because of lack of electricity. So rural communities experience high food losses with up to 35% of the fish harvest either lost or wasted as a result of the technology gaps, inadequate infrastructure, poor market arrangements and weak policies. Most countries in the region lack the necessary infrastructure for proper fish landing sites, cold storage and processing the marketing and distribution channels necessary to commercialize aquatic products for inland markets. So this is a huge opportunity. And then there's some policy issues really to try and improve the competitiveness of the sector, for instance, investing in research or fingerlings and really helping uh, aquaculture farmers to access these high technology uh, fingerlings would be key. That was Sarah Mbagobunu, the Regional Director for East and Southern Africa at IFAD. She will be back at the end of the podcast to give us a look at IFAD's future in this exciting area. Next up, we are looking at the role of private sector in the blue economy with Samuel Ondiek. You're listening to Farms Food Future with me, Brian Thompson in Rome and Linda Odiambo in Nairobi. The private sector plays a key role in the development and growth of aquaculture in Kenya, providing crucial services to various players within the sector, including cold chain storage, transport and markets. I spoke to Samuel Ondiek, Managing Director of Kenya's DAS Group, to understand the challenges the private sector faces. DAS Group Kenya Limited stands for Development of Aquaculture Support Group. We are uh, based in Kakamega. Uh, We are actually processors of uh, fish and fishery products. We work with um, the county government of uh, Kakamega in terms of um, availing that um, um, environment uh, for the business. And we also work with the farmers who are in uh, cooperative setups and groups. We offer the value chain um, value addition and we create um, value to uh, the the produce. Uh, We actually uh, avail um, the quality assurance infrastructure for the farmers. That is, um, we make sure that we have um, seedlings that are uh, of um, 
high quality feeds of high quality, uh, pond engineering, cold chain management and infrastructure. And this actually helps us to gain what is um, uh, termed as uh, food safety measures that uh, enables us to have in, in, by the end of it shelf life for the product and also uh, to support the whole value chain in terms of open up, opening up the bottlenecks in, um, in, 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 in the uh, food uh, processing. Yeah, so uh, that is what we, we, we do. And uh, we also play a pivotal role within the value chain to make sure that um, uh, we cushion farmers from post-harvest losses. And also we make sure that um, the feeds, fingerlings, and uh, all other aspects of the value chain are, uh, are actually taken care of uh, for a smooth running of the value chain. Briefly tell us some of the challenges you're facing and possible solutions. First and foremost, um, the fish uh, business or um, agribusiness in that area, it's, it's a product that is perishable, um, which means that we need to have a cold chain infrastructure and management systems in place which can support it from production all the way to processing and all the way to the market delivery. That is if we were to achieve at least up to 90% of uh, the yield that the farmer actually gets from his farm. Without that, then it means that we are actually going to incur post-harvest losses because we don't have the support for cold chain management and its infrastructure. Uh, secondly, we also have um, access to finance, which is uh, a challenge. High cost of power um, is uh, a, um, a challenge to uh, uh, startups like, uh, like uh, my, myself uh, and my organization. So I would actually um, talk about going towards green, which is a solar uh, investment, even though that is a bit costly, and that is where development partners like IFAD can come in and focus on, on such. Um, we also have um, the knowledge and understanding of um, the producer. Uh, we need to create a lot of, uh, we need to uh, work with farmers, build their capacity and train them to enable us get the right produce from uh, the from the farms. Yes, we need uh, we need partnerships that um, that can actually be proactive yeah. in uh, making sure that uh, we have access mm -hmm. to uh, funding that is um, that is. Um, commercial it can even be blended uh, in terms of uh, whether we, we can have equity mm -hmm. loan or uh, grant so um, that is something that uh, needs to be urgently addressed uh, to enable us be afloat and to operate that is Samuel Ondier Please tune in to any of our 26 podcasts and 200 plus reports from across the world of farms, food, 
future. In episodes 21 to 23, we took the Food System Summit, turned it inside out and checked it all out. In episode 24, we tuned our attention to the biodiversity advantage for small-scale farmers. And in episode 25, we focused on the need to fund adaptation for small-scale farmers in developing countries. Next month, in episode 27, we'll be focusing on innovation in agriculture and what will be the final podcast of the year. But next, we hear from small-scale producers from Eritrea and how their livelihoods have been transformed. You're listening to Farms Food Future. Small-scale farmers produce the bulk of the food we eat. They're also the custodians of our land, water and seas. With resources and training, they can safeguard the environment while improving their livelihoods. Our team in Eritrea spoke to Mohammed Said Ibrahim and Maskella Hil Mariam and shared their challenges and hopes for the future. First up, Mohammed Said Ibrahim. I am originally from Sahel, and my life is now based on fishing. I have never been involved in fishing before. But now that we have been introduced to the sea and trained as fishermen, I have become the owner of a boat. As far as my income, I depend on fishing, and that is how I take care of my family and my own needs. And prior to this project, I have never had any skill or income. But after coming here, I learned new skills and was trained in an income-generating activity. I couldn't point out at any particular challenge. I was young and out of school. I only reached grade 4. I was unemployed and uneducated, based in my village. It is at this point that this project identified me as someone in need of assistance, and I moved here and I have been here even since working. Frankly, this project provides us with a boat and other fishing material. Ever since we have been able to work, pay off our loan, and make a decent living. We have been trained where fish safety, the processing of icing, and ensuring that our harvest doesn't spoil. We were also trained not to throw the fish back to the sea so that other fish aren't alerted by it. We were also trained that if we find dead fish, not throw them back to the sea, but bury them on the island. We were also trained in safeguarding corals and ensuring that we are alert at all times not to damage corals, especially when throwing in our anchor when at sea, because corals are where fish live. We were also trained about fish spoilage and ensuring that we will put our nets in good times to save our harvest. We have been trained in all of this and have been working with this awareness until this present time. As far as the support I received, well, I came from Sahel, so I have never had any skills related to sea or even any awareness of the sea. But now, I have been learned about the sea. I have become a fisherman, and I am able to rely on this profession until the present time support myself and my family. God willing, we are hoping to get as further assistance, such as more fishing gear, motors, and other materials. And fortunately, we will use this to increase our production and capacity supply the market. Furthermore, I want to keep developing my skills and pay my debt. I also want to be self-sufficient, keep helping my family, educate my kids, and I am hopeful that we will continue to uplift ourselves. And now we hear from Maskella Hail Mariam. 
As you can see, my livelihood depends on fishing, and this is how I make my living, and this is how I am able to raise my children. I have been working along with other colleges in this field, and I am committed to continue to. Even during the most difficult period of COVID-19, when everyone else was under lockdown and many were unemployed, I was able to continue working along with my son who helped me. My morale was high and I was able to follow strict COVID rules, keeping safe distance and hygiene, and continue fishing and feeding people. I was even committed to raising people's awareness about eating fish, and at times I would distribute free fish and teach them how to safely prepare and cook it. Obviously, my livelihood is very modest, but then again, I'm also grateful because I'm employed and can raise my children and send them to school. Of course, I have faced many challenges, especially right after giving birth. Because I was unable to work, I had to depend on my modest saving in the bank. I used that up for all my needs. I, as I didn't have another choice, and my sole worry was to raise my children. Of course, it was very challenging. Ensuring good nutrition was also very challenging. It's understood that one's diet should have a variety, but this was not an option for me. While we ate in the morning, we had to have again. I also understand the strong link between nutrition and a child's growth, and that including a variety of foods contributes positively to a child's development. Unfortunately, it was very challenging, but I was able to overcome it. I was trained in how to handle a boat and the use of a life jacket. The trainers were from a community organization called Sagum. The training also included net making, which is also known as mesh, as well as fishing. I also learned how to cut up and prepare fish. I am now able to use all of this training and use it in practice and rely on it for my income as a fisherwoman. Of course, we use it to face some loss in the harvest. Sometimes up to 70 fish would die, and sometimes our entire catch would die for various reasons such as seasonal change or water issues. For safety reasons also, and in order to avoid pollution and affecting the other fish, we never throw the dead fish back into the lake, Instead, we feed it to chickens, we collect it and boil it, and then mix it in with other feed we receive from the Minister of Agriculture and use it as feed for poultry. The other method is burying them. We are very careful not to pollute the area. Indeed, this training in fishing has really helped me and has changed me. It has taught me things I was never aware of and has equipped me with the skills I am able to use to change my standards of living. I would very much like to keep developing myself in this area so that I can do more. I'm able to pay for my children's education. I pay for rent and utilities. I'm able to really take care of myself and my kids. All of this is due to this training I received, which has enabled me to work as a fisherwoman. I use it to sell sugar, coffee, onions, tomatoes, and other products. But due to health reasons, I was told by the doctors not to spend too much time in the sun. So when this fishing opportunity came through, it really helped me because I'm able to spend minimal time fishing and sustain myself. I'm very hopeful and will continue to commit myself to this field as long as I'm given the opportunity to develop further. I want to work more and eventually I want to pass this on to my children, especially my son who works with me and learns everything from me. I believe that skills like this are very important and can complement standard education. 
You have to have education to grow, but you also have to have skills to become employable. And this is what I want to pass on to my children. I would like to eventually be able to own my own fish shop. Nothing is impossible, so I really hope that I can be able to fish more over time and then sell my harvest, keeping all safety and clean line standards in my own shop and feed my community. That was Mohammed Said Ibrahim and Maskela Hel Mariam, small-scale producers from Eritrea. Coming up, we'll be talking to Richard Abila, Ifad's aquaculture specialist. Aquaculture, also known as aqua farming, is the controlled cultivation of aquatic organisms such as fish or crustaceans. The aquaculture value chain is a collection of different actors that are involved in any part of this process. The chain goes from small-scale farmers that participate in the production, larger farmers that process the product and get it ready for market, to the institutions that organise the market and on to the final product that reaches the consumer. Miguel Terren talked to Richard Abila, IFAD's fisheries and aquaculture specialist about the aquaculture value chain in the East and Southern Africa region. He told us that value chains vary depending on the country and a country like Kenya is more developed than others. Uh, depending on, on, on the country. Now, IFAD works in a number of countries, especially in the Eastern and the Southern African region. Countries, for instance, so let me give an example, like in Kenya, the aquaculture industry is quite developed and it penetrates the entire a number of rural areas. For instance, we have a program that is cutting across almost a third of the country, uh, touching a lot in, in, in rural areas. And I should point out that aquaculture is really a rural-based activity because it depends on uh, much of the resources that are uh, more available, you know, like uh, water resources um, and needing land, mostly in the rural areas. In, in other countries, um, the impact of aquaculture has not so, is, has not so much been felt because it is, uh, I would say, an industry, or a sector that is just growing. So we have all this diversity in, in, uh, in, in, this, um, in the eastern and southern African region. Uh, compared, for instance, you know, to what we see in Asia, Asian countries, uh, in much of Africa, aquaculture is still really an emerging industry, but with a lot of, a lot of potential. Okay. What innovations are you seeing being introduced in the subsector and how can small-scale fishers benefit from them? Yes, there have been quite a number of interesting um, innovations. Now, innovations here, we have to look at it in, in a much broader sense. It could be innovations in technologies. It could be innovations, you know, in the way um, the market is organized or the way the smallholders are organized or even just the way the whole industry is organized. But some of the emerging innovations that we see are especially around feed development. One of the biggest costs in aquaculture production is actually in feeds, costing almost 60% of uh, the recurrent cost of, um, of production. So there have been a number of ideas coming up uh, using alternative sources of proteins, using ants, using um, uh, in some areas, even using you know, locusts and things like that, and, and using different technologies to lower the cost of feed. There are also interesting innovations that are coming up in, in terms of technologies to increase productivity. So we have, you know, some uh, dams, raceway systems, you know, where you have uh, the circulations within the traditional pond system. Uh, we also have new ideas coming up in, in the way the industry is organized. So for instance, in, um, 
in um, Mozambique, increasingly in Kenya, there is this idea, you know, about organizing uh, aquaculture around aquaparks. You know, this is a concentrated uh, um, space of production to be able to, uh, to, to enable smallholders to be able to access all these services at a lower cost. We are actually quite um, positive that we are going to see many, many more coming up in the next few years uh, to reduce uh, the cost of production and increase productivity. What are the challenges small-scale fishers face in this sector? Aquaculture as a new activity in these areas is faced with quite a number of um, challenges because uh, many people still do not understand how it can be done most sustainably. You, you can find you know, different challenges. Some are economic challenges, things like the cost of feed, which is a big, big issue. Uh, issues uh, like uh, cost and quality of feed. Then um, in some areas, there are regulations, for instance, about licensing, which takes quite a long time and not many people are able to get this easily. Uh, the whole aquaculture industry you know, some, sometimes um, is faced with certain technologies whose sustainability is still in question. One of the big issues, again, of course, is in relation to climate change. Aquaculture is based on, on availability of water. Many areas are facing quite a big challenge uh, in relation to this. Aquaculture also can cause certain conflicts, certain uh, areas where there's competition for resources, for water, for land between different users. And finally, there's also the issue about potential pollution from aquaculture. And lastly, what are the opportunities in the sector the small-scale fishers can benefit from? Aquaculture really offers a new opportunity for creating livelihoods, especially in the rural areas. And there are several opportunities that come up in the aquaculture value chain. Now, uh, one of them is in terms of providing the inputs that are needed. So you can get, you know, smallholders who, for instance, are um, involved in producing feed, uh, using some of the locally available materials to produce feeds which they can actually sell. So it becomes an enterprise by itself. Then we have, you know, people who are involved in the, in the production of the fish itself. Uh, where they have, uh, a, they have a pond and they can produce the fish. Others are involved in processing the fish and marketing and, and uh, also supplying, you know, other services. Uh, for instance, you know, motorcycles to be able to market fish. So I would say, you know, that it is um, an interesting sector offering a new opportunity, a new area for livelihoods and nutrition for uh, especially, you know, the people in rural areas. That was Richard Abila. Up next... We're going to hear from Dr. Ishmael Kimirei about the ocean and why it is important. This is Farms Food Future with me, Brian Thompson, in Rome and Linda Odiambo in Nairobi. Oceans are a crucial part of what is known as the blue economy in the East and Southern Africa region. But climate change is having a huge impact that affects the ocean and all the creatures living in it. Dr. Ishmael Kimere is Director General of the Tanzania Fisheries Research Institute and an ocean expert. Our reporter Miguel Terrain asked what the increase of temperature means for oceans in the East and Southern Africa. Temperatures, for example, the oceans have warmed by, I think, at least 0.88 uh, degrees. And among the oceans, the Indian Ocean has warmed the fastest since, I think, the, the beginning of this, the 21st century. And 
it means a lot actually uh, in our oceans. Uh, it means that we will experience more uh, cyclones. It means that uh, we will have reduced primary productivity, the food for the fish, for example. It means that we will uh, have changes in the other indicators in the winds. Uh, we will have changes, uh, of, although I don't see it happening uh, soon, but the currents also will be affected the circulations in the, in, the, in the system. And it may increase rainfall in the region or droughts in some, in some parts of, of the region. How can countries take advantage of marine spatial planning for sustainable and integrated blue economy development? I think there are various ways of uh, how the countries can take advantage of this. For example, in Tanzania, we are uh, using satellite, for example, to look at the potential fishing zones. And the potential fishing zones are areas that the, the SST, we look at the SST, the surface, yeah, sea surface temperatures, where the, uh, the cold and, and the warm meet. And those areas actually create environment that are suitable for fish, for food and fisheries. And so if we map out our, our oceans and identify these areas. Of course, they may change as the uh, the seas are continue to warm. But if we map out this and actually provide these in uh, plans, then we will already uh, utilize this as an opportunity uh, for continued uh, uh, fishery production, uh, but also uh, for providing areas that we can use for for example, if we decide to venture into cage aquaculture, then uh, you know areas that are less productive, that are affected by uh, by temperatures that are reducing dissolved oxygen in their, their in the waters, then you can use these uh, for other activities other than capture fisheries, for example. And um, last question. What conservation activities are being carried out along the coastline and how can rural communities be involved? Yes, there are several conservation activities in Tanzania, for example. We have the Marine Parks and Reserve Unit in Tanzania, where we are conserving mostly, uh, mostly the shallow coastal habitats, the coral reefs, seagrass and mangroves. Mm. And... Except for one that we are conserving the silicant in the northern side of, of, of the coastline of Tanzania, uh, where in Tanga, the rest actually is conserving the uh, the habitats that are the critical habitats for fish, uh, both breeding and and the nursery grounds for for fish, and so that's one area. And this is a government initiative. There are several uh, conservation areas that are under private ownership, like the Mnemba, I think it's Mnemba Island in, in Zanzibar, that is uh, privately managed. That's also uh, one conservation activity that is uh, ongoing. We, uh, we, the government is establishing the CFMAs, that is Community uh, Fisheries Management Areas, uh, in collaboration with the uh, WWF and, and the other organizations, that is uh, to say uh, communities, different communities along the coastline can uh, actually uh, take charge of uh, conserving the fisheries and other resources within their areas. And 
in the south of Tanzania, uh, if you go to Songo Songo Island, they are actually implementing closed seasons uh, for the octopus fishery. And so that's another conservation activity that is uh, ongoing, uh, ensuring that the uh, fisheries resources can be uh, sustainable. Uh, we are uh, planting mangroves uh, along the coast. Uh, there are efforts also to restore uh, coral reefs. Of course, we are still looking for funding, but some coral reef restoration, especially in areas where uh, blast fishing has occurred and decimated almost the entire uh, uh, coral reefs in some some areas. And so there are several, several other activities. I could chronicle only this, and I hope this answers your question. Thank you to Dr. Ishmael Kimere. Now it's time to look ahead to the future and hear what is in store for the region with Sarambago Bunu. You're listening to Farms Food Future. Now for some final insights from IFA's Regional Director for East and South Africa on future investment in the blue economy. Uh, we are seeing increasing demand for uh, blue economy investments. Um, so not only aquaculture and fisheries, the, the aquaculture portfolio growing in demand, but wider blue economy assets. So also looking to see how we can expose tourism, the transport sector, uh, looking at innovative uh, ocean farming uh, technologies. So there is increasing uh, engagement and demand for this from uh, Eastern South Africa countries. There's a recollection that Yes, tourism has been uh, promoted, but an underinvestment in the blue economy as a whole. And, uh, and the African Union is also trying to beef up its expertise in, in this area so that the economies in the region can diversify their sources of, uh, of revenue and their competitiveness in regional and global markets. The private sector would be more important and forging interesting public-private partnerships in the blue economy is going to be very key. Right now, most of the most of the portfolio is dominated by public sector investments funded through sovereign loans. But this is expected to change as the appetite from the private sector to invest and take on a much bigger role. Uh, especially if it now has a more expanded uh, menu of financing instruments, this will help them crowd in much needed private sector participation. So we do see that uh, growing. And then we also see that there's going to probably be more innovation and adaptive research uh, to try and improve productivity of aquaculture operations and fishery operations in general, reduce costs, uh, promote climate adaptation, and increase sustainability. Uh, so now we do see quite a lot of new technologies being deployed to monitor and manage marine resources uh, more uh, more successfully. Uh, the areas such as feed and seeds where there has been improvement and innovation. And there's also new aquaculture production technologies, aquaparks, and other sort of um, what they call vertical farms in aquaculture, uh, which are very key and could crowd in and engage young people uh, more going forward. Um, we also see that there is demand for rehabilitation and restoration of mangroves uh, and 
uh, rebuilding of uh, essential ocean assets uh, that really help the biodiversity of our seas. Uh, so there we would need to look into and develop more blueprints for nature-based solutions uh, to support biodiversity. That's becoming a really big uh, request as well as the world continues to recognize the damage and harm it has created over the years and how nature can actually be it can, it can actually nature positive investments can actually contribute to changing the needle on climate change. Uh, and, and finally, I would want to say that IFAN has a comparative advantage in financial services and rendering and providing affordable financial services to rural communities, farming communities. And going forward, we see this as a great opportunity to also do it for the fishing communities and for fisheries, aquaculture, mariculture. Uh, promoting these value chains, uh, supporting food safety systems, particularly the One Health agenda, uh, and looking to see how we can intensify fish production in a sustainable uh, and, and for improved nutrition and, uh, and healthy diet. So the marine spatial planning for sustainable integrated blue economy uh, issues is going to be key for policymakers going forward to, to get a grip on how can they sustainably exploit all the resources they have in these oceanscapes? That was Sarah Mbagobunu wrapping up this special podcast of Farms Food Future on the blue economy in East and Southern Africa. Thanks to our producer Francesco Manetti, reporter Miguel Terran, the team in Eritrea, and everyone else who's worked on this program. But most of all, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Farms Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. You can find out more about any of these stories at www.ifad.org forward slash podcasts. Next month, as we head into the new year, we'll be talking innovations in agriculture. Remember, we want to hear from you. What do you think about our stories and the issues discussed? Who do you want us to be talking to? So please get in touch at podcast at ifad.org and send us your voice or text messages to that address and we'll be happy to play you out in the next show. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via your favorite podcast platform and please rate us. We'll be back at the end of December with more news fresh from the farm. And once again, we'll be trying to be good for you, good for the planet and good for the farmers. Until then, from me, Brian Thompson. And from me, Linda Odiambo and the team here at IFAD, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.